Hello and welcome to the Bristol to Beijing podcast. I'm Luke Grenfell-Shaw and I'm cycling from Bristol to Beijing on my tandem Chris. I left Bristol in January 2020 and it's fair to say it hasn't been straightforward so far. As I continue my expedition, I want to share the journey with you. And each episode, I'll be sharing my thoughts and experiences from the past week on the road. And occasionally, I'll also be chatting with someone who can shed some light on the countryman in as I try and understand the world a little better. So, without further ado, what's happened this past week? So, it's been a little while since the last episode of the Bristol to Beijing podcast. I remember distinctly that I was in Dubai airport ploughing my way through about three or four whiskies uh, after quite a stressful exit from Dushanbe Airport. So if you haven't listened to that podcast, and check out the previous one. Uh, and then I've had a bit of a break over the last two months in the United Kingdom, mostly in London, but Bristol, Cornwall, Oxford. Uh, actually, I've been on the move almost as much as when I was on the bike. Uh, though I've racked up some significant train fares and um, very little has been done on the bike. This, though, comes from Pakistan. That's right. The ride is back on the road. The wheels are rolling. Chris is much happier than he was being in a box. And that means there's more to talk about. And I'm really excited to share with you what will be a pretty uncut, quite a wild, untamed episode from the rather wild and untamed hills of Pakistan, because right now we are up in the mountains of Pakistan. And I say we because there are two people here in this delightful little room. There's obviously me, um, and I'm also very lucky to be joined by TJ, uh, who's a friend from university. We uh, both were at Durham. We lived in the same house for a year, and I never expected to do a cycle journey with you, TJ. Um, but can you just introduce yourself and um, tell the the wild audience out there um, about why you're here? I suppose. Definitely. Hi, I'm TJ. As Lucas just said, I'm one of his friends from Durham University. I myself now am a PhD student at Oxford University. And I'm very privileged to be here with Luke on this epic part of his journey. Uh, and why did you choose to come? Well, um, timing. But also I wanted to support Luke on this part of the journey. And having looked online at this region, it's quite magnificent and yet wild and quite off the beaten track. So... Were you a bit worried before you came? Because I think a lot of people, actually a couple of other people were going to join uh, before I asked you and they saw it was in Pakistan and then they uh, had second thoughts, I suppose, is the best way of saying it. I was and my mum is definitely worried. I think the uh, the idea of Pakistan is actually quite different from the reality now that we're here. It's Everyone has been incredibly hospitable and... It's quite a very much a warm culture mm. and it, it feels entirely safe so far. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what are the things that we hear about in Pakistan and in the media? And let's let's go for the stereotypes. Let's go for the tropes. What do people think about Pakistan? It's where Osama bin Laden was killed. It's um, 
I don't know. Borders Afghanistan. And borders Afghanistan, Afghanistan has just been taken over by the Taliban. Okay. And so then there's this expectation that somehow Pakistan might also be overrun with militants or something. Yeah. Is that this? Yeah, it's sort of a dangerous country as opposed to the pleasant green fields of the UK. And I think we would both say that the reality has been very, very far from that. Very far. We have seen a lot of guns, though. That is true. We have seen that. Okay, that's the one interesting, one of the interesting facets. There are a lot of guns around, but we were speaking with a, a good friend, and he was telling us that there's a somewhat, something of a paradox that he's saying that guns are incredibly tightly controlled, that only ex-military people are allowed to have them. And yet they are everywhere. We were in like a cricket pitch in Islamabad and there was just some security guy with an AK-47. Even just today, we walked past maybe 20, what, who I assume are soldiers, but they weren't in uniform. All of them were holding guns walking down the street. Yeah, it's true. Um, but I think to, to, to leave the description of Pakistan at this would be to do a grave, grave uh, injustice because I think for me what's like stood out as you said is how warm and welcoming everyone has been and like whether that was in our hotel in Sosk which was right up at the top um, near the Hundrad Pass where we restarted where the uh, the guys there they were just sort of delighted to to see us to chat with us to hear about the ride big big smiles yesterday we met some uh, a guy called hassan he was a tour operator um and he was super interested to find out about the uk and bought us tea everyone's trying to buy us tea here everyone's offering us as much as they can give us everyone wants to sit down with us and even if their grasp of english isn't so great they want to be with us and talk to us and of course luke is a master of linguistic skills has already picked up quite a lot of urdu what we're talking about is three sentences, but like three sentences goes a hell of a long way. People love it. And I think it's there are lots of places around the world that if you can speak just a few sentences, it means a huge, huge amount. And you just see people's faces light up because, you know, you butcher something like, you know, Salam Aleikum, uh, Kaisahe, I think it is. And that's just how are you? Yeah, I, I did have... Luke learn how to say I forgot my passport because on the journey up to the Hundra Pass about half an hour drive into the what two two and a half hour drive up to the pass yeah we had to turn around because he'd forgotten his passport and there are a couple of security checks where it's needed yeah I have a bit of a track record with forgetting my passport it's actually not forgetting it it's thinking that I won't need it um, yeah, <laughs> which, which is which is just as stupid. It's probably more stupid, um, and so yeah, we had to turn back, and I had to pick up my passport, and then we went up to the Hundrab Pass. Tell us about the Hundrab Pass, TJ. Four thousand meters. Four thousand seven hundred meters. Oh wow! Okay. I didn't want to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to. But I was I was worried about altitude sickness. I I, I think I felt a bit of it quite lightheaded when we first got there. Mm. But a couple of minutes in and it was it was fine. So describe what did you see when we stepped out of that minibus? So we'd travelled up on this minibus, up winding valleys, up to the roof of the world. Uh, 
the Hundra Pass. It's a large plateau, all, all, all looking across, surrounded by hills and mountains, covered in white snow and absolutely freezing. But off in the distance was the border with China, because this is the border between China and Pakistan, and a large gate. And um, we were actually met by some tourists up there as well. I know. It was. Um, it, it has a few sites. One is this this gate, which looks more like a fortress, I think. It, it does. It's about a kilometre away, and it's this great, sturdy gate, like... Um, yeah, like like a fortress, like an entrance into a walled city. Yeah, exactly. Like um, Minas Tirith. Yes. Right. Yeah, something. I've I've enjoyed. Grand. Yeah, uh, with TJ. TJ often like puts in some sort of um, uh, references to sort of fantasy novels or gaming, which I've quite enjoyed through well, the whole. All the scenery is something out of a book. Really, it's magnificent. Yeah. No, you're right. Um, and we met some tourists up at Kunjarab, and there is one very significant tourist attraction. Ah, uh, yes. Which is? The highest ATM in the world. Exactly. And Luke tried it and lost his debit card into the ATM. You just making this up, mate? I, I just, did just make that you up. You did just make that but up. But that is something that you could have nightmares about. It is. And I have had a few troubles with my my Monzo card. So Monzo, get get your act sorted out in um, in Pakistan. I want money. Um, I want to be able to get it out. Um, and it didn't work. Maybe it was too cold. Maybe the machine was frozen. Who knows? So <laughs> we we did start. And like for me, this is a really significant moment when we restarted the, the ride and started descending again because that is back on the road. It's as close as I'm going to get to the point where I left off in Tajikistan. It's about 200 kilometers away from the um, where I was in Tajikistan. I couldn't go through China because the border is still closed and we're going to hope that that opens up. What has been your most, the thing you most enjoyed and the thing you found most difficult about riding the stallion, as I very rarely call Chris, the okay. tandem? Well, I'll start with the difficulty. <laughs> Was that, it comes to mind a bit more quickly, well, does it? Yeah, so on the back of the bike, yesterday we cycled from... Uh, Karimabad to Gilgit, and that's almost 95 kilometers. But after these past four days, my bum is very sore, and I think I'll get used to it, but that's probably been the most difficult part, especially mm. the uphills, sort of pressure on my bum, and mm. it is sore. However, some of the best parts have been the sort of episodic moments where we decide to get off the bike and enjoy some of the scenery or meet some local people there was one quite beautiful moment where we decided after the top of this this hill climbing up we saw an apple apple seller at the top we mm. thought you know this perfect opportunity to buy some apples yeah there are beautiful stacks of apples like green apples red apples and the most enormous apples i've seen in my life like the size of pomegranates or bigger than that oh yeah like small pumpkins almost Small pumpkins, yeah. And we, we stopped off and started chatting to them, and they, they could speak some English. And within a matter of minutes, the whole family, just the men in the family, though. It's true, I just add. the men. We're assured that the women um, are, what, treated treated equally. They're, they're, they're school teachers, um, but 
they, they also seemed to work in the fields and the men were standing around. Yeah. It did seem a bit like that, but what do we know? And um, we did speak to them about that, and they were very happy to speak about these issues. And yeah. they, they were insisting that all, all of their wives and their families and all the women were off doing some form of work. Yeah, and educated uh, for as long to the same level as all the men. And th- these are Ismailis, um, which is a sort of a, a part of Shiism, which is part of Islam. And uh, it's led by the Aga Khan, and he really, really champions education. And so actually this region of Pakistan, is um, the, the Gilgit-Baltistan area, is uh, one of the highest educated areas in Pakistan, in fact. And that's both amongst uh, men and women. And today when I was in the university in Gilgit, uh, I was told that um, out of the 8,000 students, you know, over half are women. So I think there are some big changes afoot here as well. But we met these wonderful apple sellers. Um, apple and apricot sellers. Indeed. And we, we sat down with them for a cup of tea. Yeah. And I think that's just the, the examples of like, we're sort of alluding to earlier of how hospitable, how kind people are that we stopped for some apples. We ended up being there for probably almost an hour drinking drinking tea with them. And we just got invited to, um, yeah, spend spend some really nice time. And they, what did they tell us about the geog- geographical location of why they were apple sellers there? Well, yeah, this was amazing because we, we, we cycled, what, 300 kilometers so far down this road and the valleys change every every kilometer every five kilometers of it's like freezing cold uh sheer rocky side and then at some places it opens up and where we were in Khyber where we met this family um this is one of the two areas that they grow apples in this whole region and apparently the climatic conditions are perfect but in this what like uh, 10 square kilometer part of the valley they grew the most delicious apples i had in my life but if you go 500 meters down the road you will not see a single apple tree and you won't see a single apple tree for another 50 kilometers so that kind of blew my mind of how specific that locality was to growing apples like such a concentrated such a small place where there are perfect climatic conditions and you go a kilometer up the road or down the road and it's gone it's quite remarkable yeah. Um, so we've we've been in Pakistan for about a week. One of the things I've loved most is how how people here in Pakistan look for the solution. So I don't know how much you kind of if I hid this from you very well when we we're in the UK, but I was pretty nervous about um, getting Chris the bike the bike box from London to the top of the Khundra Pass. I did not realise you were nervous. I I was having, I was quite worried about this because not, not only did I somehow need to get the bike from Rickmansworth in London to Heathrow Airport and that needed a van and that was complicated and then I needed to convince the airline to take the bike and that was complicated and expensive. But even when those problems were solved, I was aware that somehow I was going to have to get the bike and us up to Gilgit, up to Sos, and I had no idea how this was all going to happen. I was just in awe of your confidence that you knew it was going to happen somehow or another. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm very surprised to, to hear that, but um, I'm glad that the, the illusion <laughs> was there at the it time. Um, I mean, I did know it was going to be possible, 
but there was just these big uncertainties of how it was going to happen. And what I've loved since being here in Pakistan is, and it, it came from like the, the moment we I got out of the airport and I had this huge bike box. And in the UK, there'd be all sorts of problems just trying a car that was big enough. And here in Pakistan, they just like shoved it into the back of this small minivan. Um, and it was half sticking out the back. They didn't close the boot. It was just like half sticking out the back. Uh, and we, at three o'clock in the morning, and we drove into Islamabad. But what they can do with these minibuses is incredible. Because when we were at Gilgit a week ago, when we were trying to get up to Hunjarab, we went to this, we didn't know if there were going to be any buses, did we? No. And we didn't know when the buses were, but we went to the bus station and we asked, like, is there a bus that will take us to Sost? And they said, oh, yeah, here's this tiny little, like, minivan. And I was thinking, like, how on earth are we going to get the bike, like, in, in this van, which is, like, full of seats? And, well, what did they do? They strung it up on the top of the van. But it wasn't just the only thing at the top of the van. I think it had loads of planks of wood and they started piling more things on as well yeah like a corrugated iron sheet and it's just amazing they just go yeah we we can do this we'll we'll make it work and um i've been reflecting on how easy it is to make stuff happen here in pakistan on the ground they're trying to plan stuff for what you in pakistan from the uk is almost impossible because there's no way that you can look at a timetable of the buses in Gilgit and see if they will take a bike. That's just impossible. So it's the opposite of the UK where in the UK you can do most things but you need to plan it. Mm. You can never just do it on the hoof. That is that is precisely it, I feel. Like it's a hu- it was a huge adjustment coming back to the UK for me and like having to plan my life and it stressed the hell out of me. Um, and then I got used to that and now coming back here you're just like readjusting to the fact that you don't need to plan so much and things will just work themselves out. Yeah, everything has worked itself out pretty nicely. Yeah, it has, and hopefully it continues to. We've got um, an interesting week ahead of us, TJ. There's a section of about 120 kilometres of road, we've been told, that is not road, really. It's sort of... Oh, I know it's not road. Yeah. And in the minivan, it was very bumpy. So we could not fall asleep. We've got that coming up. Um, but what are your sort of looking forward? What are you? What are your thoughts? You had a week and a bit in Pakistan on the bike. What are you looking forward to? What are you a bit? More? I'm looking forward to hopefully doing some wild camping mm. in one of the valleys under a, hopefully a magnificent magnificent sky to see all the stars. Okay, yeah, and now I don't think we would have enjoyed it a bit higher up, but it's freezing at night, absolutely freezing. Um, And it was interesting finding out about that because they don't have boilers or gas systems anymore because there were sort of safety concerns over the gas systems and the electricity is really intermittent in winter because it comes from hydropower and there's less water running through the rivers in winter. So I, I've definitely been caught out a few times in the last few days not wearing enough layers and being quite cold as a result. But I think camping yeah. further down the valley will be, will be very special. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that too. Um, and yeah, just relaxing into the amazing way of life that this is, I think. That's gonna, it's taken a bit of an adjustment, but I'm looking forward to doing more of it. Should be good. 
I've got a comment here for the UK listeners about what the locals put in their tea. Mm, go on, TJ. Finish, they, finish they off with this. have their black tea with milk. And down in, in Islamabad, it's a very sugary tea. But as we've come up into the Gilgit-Baltistan region, they start to put salt in their tea. And it's, um, it's something else. You can imagine how it might taste. <laughs> I think it's fair to say, TJ, yeah, you, you're not a fan of it. No. Um, and I was a huge fan of the the tea as they usually prepare it because it's quite sweet until I realized just how much sugar they're putting in it and I was getting quite quickly addicted to sugar. So the tea here is absolutely wonderful, um, but it is, it's a little bit dangerous for the waistline. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are some of the thoughts um, and impressions of Pakistan in our first bit. TJ, thanks for thanks for sharing them. No problem. And can we have you back next week? I hope so. I'll still be here. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, um, can we can we have a big endorsement for TJ for next week? Because I would love to chat to him some more. So give us some comments, give us some feedback. TJ, thanks so much. And uh, until next week, goodbye. Cheers. And that was this week's episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it and thanks so much for listening. We put a lot of time into the podcast, so please do support us by subscribing, reviewing and rating. And please send in your questions that you have about any aspect of life on the road to Bristol to Beijing on social media. Until next week, goodbye.